Migration has been one of the most pressing political issues for the EU in recent years. Therefore, we at ICMPD look into the year ahead and identify the key issues on migration for the year 2022. Today, we look at South and West Asia, in short, the Silk Roads region. This podcast was recorded on March 3, 2022. The observations regarding Ukraine and displacement, as well as the data referenced, may have changed in the meantime. My name is Elizabeth Minkoff, I am ICMPD Communications Officer and today here with me are the two co-authors of the ICMPD Migration Outlook for the Silk Roots region, South and West Asia. Mr. Nawazat Odivala is a specialist on India and Iran and he is working in the Silk Roots team. He's joining me remotely today from Brussels. Hello Nawazat. Hello, thank you for having me. Good to have you here. Uh, Nausat works for our Silk Roots region. My second guest in the studio is Megan Hendo, and she is working in our research unit, and she's specializing in irregular migration issues. Hello, Megan. Hi. Last but not least, we have once more with us our external guest, journalist Martina Bachler, who reports on everything related to politics and economy. Welcome back, Martina. Thanks for having me. Great having you too. For those of you who are not familiar with our work, ICMPD stands for International Center for Migration Policy Development. Every year, we publish an outlook on the migration year ahead. This year, we also published outlooks on individual regions, like this one for the Silk Roots region. Our two experts in the region have analyzed the situation in six countries that are quite different. We will talk about Afghanistan, Bangladesh, Iran, India, Iraq and Pakistan today and find out what the key migration issues for these countries are, and we will also find out where they are similar and what the differences in these countries are. So let's start! ICMPD Migration Outlook 22, South and West Asia, the key findings. If you had to choose a headline for the entire region, how would it sound? What would uh, what areas uh, would it encompass? Maybe based on the five key migration issues that you identified for the Silk Roots region. Thanks for the question. So if I was going to choose, let's say, two headlines, if you'll allow me, I would focus on also looking at it from two different perspectives. So looking at it from from maybe a more European viewpoint would be the first one would be looking at the Iraq irregular migration route via the eastern borders route that occurred over the summer and into the fall. I think that was a really important issue for all of Europe. And the second key issue that I would highlight more looking at it from a country of origin perspective um, from the Silk Roots region would be about the major um, policy and programmatic changes in, in the region with regards to return migrants and reintegration measures. So this has been a really key policy development for the region, um, where the large-scale returns due to COVID meant that a lot of countries had to reorient um, their responses to respond to these, uh, the needs of returnees. And now is that how about you? 
Well, to me, I think the Afghan situation comes to mind right away. We cannot talk about 2021, and especially in this region, if we don't talk about the fall of the government in, on August 15th and the takeover of the Taliban regime. And there is, as a result of this takeover and as a result of the creation of the emigrate of Afghanistan, the Islamic emigrate of Afghanistan, what we find is a social, political, and environmental and economic crisis that's occurring in a country of over 35 million people. And how is that going to impact displacement to the region, so to neighboring countries such as Iran, Pakistan, but also to furthered countries down the road, Turkey and the European Union. And secondly, I think what needs to be discussed when we talk about 2021 is the second wave of COVID and the number of returns that occurred uh, due to the uh, slowing down of economies across the globe and across, specifically in the region that is typically a popular destination for labor migrants to go to. And as a result of this COVID situation, what we also have is a series of inequalities when you talk about vaccination rates. So I think that to me is the two main factors or key considerations for the year. Martina, is there something surprising in this election for you? I think um, before I can answer that, I'd like to better understand what are now your expectations for this year. Do you see what has started, uh, what has developed throughout 2021 continuing in this year? And what are the factors that can enhance that or stop that or um, channel it in, into a different direction? So from my perspective, taking those two, two points that I mentioned before, maybe starting with the latter one, I would say I think that this will be, for, for countries in the region, a key area of development in the, in the coming year. We already see policies being developed or further, um, further developed, and, and in that also international organizations and, and the donor community are really key in terms of supporting countries of origin in developing these structures and um, policy measures where they can better respond to the needs of returnees. We also have in mind that that there are a number of very important economic, political, and structural drivers of migration. And among returnees, how that additional, the additional challenges that they have faced in the return process might feed into further migration drivers. On the first point, maybe to elaborate a little bit further, I think it's very difficult in the current situation to think about how it might develop given the current situation with Ukraine. So we understand also that the eastern borders route was very clearly the instrumentalization of migration. And, and there's a lot of developments at the moment constantly changing along this route. So it would be hard to, to prescribe what would change. But what I would say is that the EU's, EU's response was quite swift and very effective, in particular in cooperating with countries of origin, particularly Iraq. Iraq, The Iraqi government, including also the Kurdish regional government, was very important in also supporting in, in shutting down this route from, from the country of origin. So I think that speaks to how the route may, may develop from that perspective, But given the current developments, maybe there's new trends that we can think about, but are very difficult to, let's say, prescribe. 
Okay. May I add one question also regarding Afghanistan and what you mentioned and also taking into account the, the situation we are currently at and that we have not um, seen coming, I think, even a couple of weeks ago. Um, with all this focus now on Ukraine, what does it mean for working in Afghanistan, for focus, a, a donor focus on Afghanistan? How does this change the situation? Well, I hope it doesn't. I, I, I think it would be quite um, it would be quite difficult to say that it will not change anything. The world's attention now is on Ukraine, the displacement that's occurring from Ukraine into Poland and into Romania and the neighboring countries that are, of course, at the border of the European Union. So everyone's attention naturally goes towards our neighbors and the immediate, the ones that are in front of us. But I do hope, and I think the Silk Roots region as a whole does trust that once we get past this emerging and urgent need, that attention returns back to the plight of the Afghan displacement and Afghan refugees. Because the UN has, of course, just at the end of last year, announced that they need 4.4 billion euros to be able to, to respond to the humanitarian crisis that's ongoing in, in Afghanistan. And that hasn't changed. In fact, it's only gotten worse because you have a government that's not recognized internationally, so no international donor funds are going directly into the country. They're being passed through by international organizations that work directly with micro, um, to the displaced individuals and citizens. But then secondly, what tends to what has happened is that you have the winter coming. And as the winter, in the middle of the winter, actually, we should say, um, that creates an additional pressure. Houses need to be warmed. Food needs to be provided. And with the Ukraine crisis and Ukraine being the breadbasket of the region and the world, the price of food and oil has skyrocketed 40%. So now already citizens and residents and communities that were struggling are even struggling further. And so I do really do hope that attention returns to that. And I, with, and I hope that, and at least we think that with this outlook, with this, with this document, we draw attention back to crises that are occurring around the world that also deserve the attention they are seeking. ICMPD Migration Outlook 2022, South and West Asia, Focus Regions. This was already uh, a good start. Now, based on what you have uh, created in the Outlook, I would like now to speak about those focus regions that you have identified, unless they are the same. But can you tell me, Megan, how and why specifically those focus regions identified in the Migration Outlook were chosen? Well, I think... Um, I'll speak on on the Iraq irregular migration route, and then and then I'll I'll turn to to Nawazad to speak more and and, and elaborate a little bit more about, about the Afghan displacement situation. But more broadly, I do think that these are the the two focus areas that have really, not to minimize it, made a, a big splash. Let's say in at, at the global mm -hmm. level, I, I think we've all turned our focus over the course of the year at different times to these two situations. And in the Iraqi case, I think this was a very new example. I think the, the, the instrumentalization of migration by a third country is a very new geopolitical development. And the impact this has had on geopolitics on migration trends, 
and even at the micro level on migrants themselves. So looking at how state media or state decisions uh, then filter down into social media posts and and the operations of smugglers on the ground. I think it's very interesting to delve a little bit deeper into, into how this happened, also from the country of origin perspective. What kind of issues emerged, let's say, on the ground for Iraqis that led to this fairly surprising um, emigration, irregular migration. And I think what's important also here is that for this specific route, it was centered around the Kurdish region of Iraq. And that is a new trend. So as compared to previous migration trends of Iraqis, it's quite new that emigration is happening in irregular forms from the Kurdish region of Iraq. And now, Azad, how about you? The question was, uh, why were certain focus regions chosen in the first place for the outlook? So, I mean, <clears throat> when it comes to Afghanistan, how could you not, right? I mean, it was in the news, it was in the visuals of every single newspaper and television screen, just as we're seeing today with Ukraine. Uh, you couldn't turn on the televisions or a newspaper, open a newspaper without seeing news about what's happening. And it was heartbreaking to see these images of children being handed over across, over at the uh, Afghan Kabul airport uh, in the hopes they'd be able to escape because everyone was afraid of what would happen once the Taliban took control as it as had occurred in the previous regime between 1996 to 2001. We were worried about women's rights, we were worried about minority rights, we were worried about uh, those who had worked with uh, embassies, uh, international organizations, those who had entered into fields such as legal armed forces, uh, you know, athletes, athletes, for example, women's soccer, all of these things are Uh, were shooting at us and as a region we just couldn't ignore and in addition to the fact that we had a mission and an officer on the ground we had a team that was working with the government uh, the previous government but also we ran migrant resource centers in the country and still do virtually so we were getting real information from the ground that suggested to us that this had to be a focus for the 2021 year and if you just look at the data you know you've got 23 million people uh, facing hunger you've got uh, 5.5 million people displaced as a result of either climate change or conflict. You've got um, the number of 4.4 billion euros uh, as humanitarian aid that's needed by the UN. So it was very clear to us right off the bat that this insecurity, this uncertainty, and these factors of economic proportions, social proportions, and also political proportions were going to have a rollover effect into displacement and displacement into the regions of Iran and, of course, Pakistan and all other countries such as Tajikistan that neighbor them. And when we look at those displacements, what we find is the countries in the neighborhood have already faced such movements in the past and are already being overburdened. So in my area of work, which is Iran and India, what we found in Iran is in the conversations we had with the government is that they were not prepared to take on more refugees. So this needed to, this message needed to be communicated. This message needed to be brought out within our member states of ICMPD, but also our readers who may find their regional migration outlook of interest. So to me, that's That's what inspired us to choose the Afghan uh, situation. As it relates to the other point that I made at the onset, which is how COVID has occurred in 2021 and the way it's compounded inequalities, 
we started to see that very quickly in, in, throughout the year as returns started emerging. In India, we had the Vande Bharat mission, which brought back six and a half million Indians from GCC, but across the world as well. Uh, when you talk about Pakistan, they had approximately 950,000 Pakistanis returned uh, due to or repatriated. When you talk about Bangladesh, you're talking about 500,000 Bangladeshis returned due to COVID. And so the possibility for these individuals to re-migrate was becoming very clearly um, difficult because of the way the vaccines were being rolled out throughout the year. As, as the West, as you and I in Austria and Brussels uh, were able to be vaccinated in our first dose and our second dose, to this day, you know, vaccine rates in Afghanistan are now about 10%, in India about 60%, in pa Iraq about 20%, in Pakistan about 45%. So this inequality meant that those individuals that had returned and that were looking for new pastures and new horizons to migrate to for labor and mobility suddenly were not even able to take advantage of the new openings that were existing because in 2021 we were slowly starting to come out of that waves and we were thinking about these new digital passes that were going to allow us to integrate and start crossing borders but none of this was possible because vaccine rates were so short so again this felt like something that had to come out and i'll stop with my last point which is that even if they were able to get a vaccine the other issue that emerged very quickly was that certain vaccines were recognized and others were not and so therefore, what was recognized by the European Medical Agency in Europe versus what was being used in, other, in the region was very different. And I give you one example with in India, for example, Covaxin is a vaccine that was manufactured in India in a collaboration with a local pharmaceutical company, but is very similar to the AstraZeneca vaccine. AstraZeneca is recognized by the EMA, but Covaxin is not. And so as a result of that, those that were in India <clears throat> or in the region, by the way, because India is one of the leading suppliers of medication around the world, suddenly couldn't migrate because they didn't qualify for that document for um, COVID mobility. So for those reasons, I couldn't, we couldn't avoid those conversations. And now looking into the future, do you already see that they're based on this because that means that there must be labor shortage in many countries now because of this repatriation trend? or the, the issue that they are facing due to the vaccination? Are there partnership programs, for instance, already uh, being discussed at the moment between uh, receiving countries and sending countries, for instance? Yeah, so two things, are, two things have happened. First and foremost, we've already started to get a better understanding of the COVID situation and the vaccines. So 12 out of the 27 member states have already recognized Covaxin. And that is a process that's ongoing. And we expect that within the next coming months that there may be even an EU-wide solution. And so therefore, that inequality starts to you know, fall back a bit. Secondly, when it comes to countries of destination, everyone is slowly emerging out of the COVID pandemic. We still don't have a booming economy and many of the economic predictions that had been forecasted for the region, including the IMF, have had to revise those. So I can't imagine that the traditional destinations that England, Indian, Bangladeshi, Pakistani migrants were going to are suddenly going to want to rehire all those individuals that came back. Mm -hmm. So what the government and many of the private sector have realized is that new channels need to be discussed and discovered. And so the government of India and as well as Pakistan and other countries within the region have started to negotiate agreements whereby labor mobility could be facilitated with countries like Japan, 
with countries like Portugal, with countries like the United Kingdom, whereby these countries that have not usually had the high levels of migrant labor from countries of origin in the region can now suddenly enjoy some of those uh, labor migrants for the shortages that we need within the European Union. Because that's the other thing, don't forget, that in 2021 and 2020, we started to appreciate a whole lot more the role of labor migrants were doing within certain sectors, such as the healthcare sector, transportation sector, agricultural sector. When all of us were locked down in our houses, they were relied upon heavily to be able to transport the goods that they that we needed to continue to survive sitting in our safety of our homes. And so I think many countries within the European Union have also started to pivot and look look towards um, the, the region of the Silk Roots or the South and West Asia to, to see determine how they can fill the gaps that are needed as identified by the SEDEFPOP analysis, but also their labor market analysis, specifically in sectors that are not traditionally high skilled, but perhaps even kind of could be qualified as medium skilled, such as healthcare assistance. Uh, test evaluators, because we saw that the burden of testing now became so large, um, imaging also working in blue collar sectors such as transportation logistics all of that became very primordial and the local market just doesn't have the usual supply that needs to fill these gaps so private sector is also pushing pitching in do you already see some new forms of allowing for more legal migration are there already more concrete examples well i think that the examples i gave earlier such as the uh, india Portugal agreement, the India-UK agreement, the India-Japan agreement, those are some concrete examples where a country of origin has started to explore uh, possible uh, opportunities for its labor migrants that have returned due to COVID to now re-migrate. Uh, Pakistan is doing the same thing with Germany. Um, for instance, uh, looking at the nurses and healthcare workers, many such examples are starting to spring up. Now, It takes time to implement them. And I think that's the role of ICMPD also within the region to say, you've got all these wonderful political declarations. Now let's start thinking about how to implement them and to implement them in a way that they become win-wins. Because it cannot just be that we have a short-term supply need and therefore, or demand need, so therefore we have a supply and then there's no commitment to integration or long-term uh, residency or other such uh, items that come up, such as families. How does family come with the members who are hired? And at the same time, we look, need to look at what are the challenges when it comes to returning? You know, are, will their experiences be recognized back home? Will their qualifications be recognized going forward? Because that's also a big challenge. You can hire someone, but at the end of the day, if the nursing industry or the nursing or the um, engineering fields do not recognize a welder or a technician of, um, for facility management, then that becomes a big issue because that individual isn't reaching their potential. And will the development we see now in, in the war in Ukraine with, I think, the current expectation is between seven and eight million refugees um, coming to Europe. Will, will this development um, change what, what you just described? Will, will it stop it or slow it down? I think that the two are not mutually exclusive. I think refugees that are coming from Ukraine and moving into Poland uh, temporarily, and I think the European Council is going to be discussing the temporary protection directive today, will allow for some rights and short-term residency 
opportunities for these individuals that definitely deserve it, you know, given the current plight that they are facing due to the invasion. But at the same time, those that are coming from Bangladesh or Pakistan or India are offering a completely set different set of skills and tools, um, mainly language. Um, you know, mainly those that come, for example, to Germany would have learned German and be at a B1 or B2 level, if you're familiar with the language scale, uh, scale that we use in, within the European Union. Um, if you talk about uh, Indian engineers or if you talk about nurses from Pakistan, those individuals have traditionally and uh, recognized also by many entities across the world as being very good suppliers of quality labor. and. I haven't looked into too much detail about this, the, the local uh, Ukrainian situation as to what kind of su supply is coming through that. Naturally, to a certain extent, uh, attention of the governments of the European Union will focus now on supporting the Ukrainian effort. But I think that these two are not mutually exclusive, and I do hope that they are not mutually exclusive, because I think that the the value brought in by those who are coming from the region of the South and West Asia is different and offers a you know a unique opportunity or a competition for for growth to Europe as well as to the member states. ICMPD Migration Outlook 2022: South and West Asia Migration Trends. Let's shift away a little bit from the regions and look generally at the migration trends now. What would they be and can you say more about them? Sure. So looking at the displacement caused by the Afghan situation in 2021, we see that about 676,000 people or Afghans have been displaced internally in 2021. This has brought the total numbers to about three and a half million, uh, which is about 10% of the population. That's due to conflict alone. If you then add the one and a half million or 1.1 million that have experienced displacement due to natural disasters, this brings the displacement internally within the country to about five and a half million. If you look at it, just if you zoom, zoom out even a bit further and you look at neighboring countries, you know, you've got Iran that UN estimates that there have been about one and a half million registered Afghan refugees in Pakistan and about 780,000 in Iran by the end of 2021, with just about 300,000 fleeing after the Taliban takeover. This is in addition to, of course, the you know uh, two and a half million Afghans that sit in uh, Iran uh, since uh, over the last 30 years. And that if you look at the irregular or informal numbers, that number reaches up to about 5 million. Then when you talk about... Um, When you look at the remittance flows from the country and the countries from this area, what we find is that remittances have been a little bit more resilient than what was expected. So although the final data yet hasn't been published, early analysis by the World Bank suggests that about South Asia will likely grow 8% to about $159 US billion in 2021. So that's very interesting to look at as well because... Everyone had forecasted that as a result of the COVID pandemic, we would see a negative impact on remittances. Mm -hmm. And then last but not least, as I had mentioned earlier, returning due to COVID. You have six and a half million that returned to India, 500,000 that returned to Bangladesh, one million that returned to Pakistan. And all these numbers, of course, then reflect to what uh, Megan will talk about, which is the pressures that the countries of countries of origin are now facing. Okay. And Megan, how about you? 
So I think what's important is that in addition to looking at displacement in the region, which I think should remain a, a really core focus because the, the, the largest proportion, of, obviously, of displacement is within the region, we can then also look at how those displacement trends have knock-on effects further down the migratory route. So we do see some trends in terms of, in particular, the Afghan displacement situation towards the EU in 2021. So, but I, I think it's also important that to highlight that across this region, o- over 20% of all detections of irregular crossings were of nationals of the of Afghanistan, Bangladesh, and Iraq. So, just of those three countries, that's already a fifth, a little bit over a fifth of all detections. And across the EU's external borders. Nationals of Afghanistan, Bangladesh, India, Iran, Iraq, and Pakistan are among the top three nationalities detected across five out of the seven migratory routes to the EU. So I think it's important to think also about this region as a sending country. Um, on the one hand, of, of, of course, of, of labor migration, they're a major sending region, but also for, from the European perspective, um, across many um, of the the regular migration routes, you see nationals of these these countries as, as top um, top nationalities detected. Um, so look delving a little bit into the the nationality specific data, so we see um, particularly along the Western Balkans and the Eastern Mediterranean route, obviously this is where for this region Afghans and Iraqis are particularly um, prominent uh, in terms of detections of irregular migration. And But we, what we also saw is that this trend that we saw in last year's regional migration outlook for this region, we saw the increase in detections of Bangladeshi nationals uh, along the central Mediterranean route, so from Libya. And that was quite surprising. And we did see it continue this year. So for Bangladeshis and also Iranians, they were the top five countries of origin along this route in 2021. So I think that's a new trend from 2020 that we do see it continuing. While we don't necessarily consider that this is uh, an immediate displacement, it's more of a secondary one. So for, for we know Libya is a, is a major country of origin, despite all of the, the quite ex- extreme challenges that the, the country faces. It's still uh, a ma- major country of destination for, for migrant labor, and including of Bangladeshis. And so we would consider that also the, the compounding of issues during, the, t- during 2020 and the impacts of the economic crisis called by, caused by the pandemic um, then contributed to decision-making of migrants including Bangladeshi nationals, to uh, travel via this route, which, as we know, is a, is a, is a very dangerous one. Okay. Maybe okay. I could also speak about the asylum trends in Europe. Sure. So in terms of asylum trends, I think also this, again, speaks to the conflict situations that we... Conflict and, and difficult situations faced by many country in the, countries in the region. And uh, among... Among the countries that we're looking at, obviously Afghans are the highest um, applications, and we see also a big change in the recognition rate. So, whereas last year in, or in 2020, let's say, because now we're in 2022, apparently, <laughs> um, last year the recognition rate of Afghans was close to 60 percent. 
Um, at the end of 2021, it increased to 92%, obviously because of the major changes in the country. And we saw major changes in terms of the, the inflow of, uh, or I wouldn't say inflow actually, because uh, it's, it's not just inflow. So I wouldn't link the irregular migration trends too concretely with asylum applications, although they are linked. But there were um, new applications from Afghans already in Europe. But we did see increases in asylum applications. We saw in particular um, big increases that have been report reported from the EU asylum agency in terms of Afghan unaccompanied children. Okay. You mentioned earlier on how neighboring countries to Afghanistan already are stretched or at their limits. What are the current developments that can that can um, improve the situation there? And what are other risk factors? You mentioned the economic situation. We have extremely high inflation rates, high energy prices, now increasing food prices, etc. Are there also factors where you'd say, okay, no, this is not going to get too much uh, of a problem. It will be actually fine. I guess... I think to me right away what comes to mind is that if the international community de delivers on its commitments that it made in 2021, I think it would go a long way in ensuring the support that's needed by the neighboring countries, but also Afghanistan and its community itself. So, for example, you have Germany that announced plans to contribute up to 500 million euros, Denmark contributing 32 million euros. Austria, 20 million euros. And of course, you have the big humanitarian call that came from UN, which talked about four and a half billion euros. Additionally to that, you saw a great deal of goodwill from the international community to continue the withdrawal of those at risk, such as minority groups, women, uh, those that were who have worked in international organizations, those who were perhaps employed by the former Afghan National Security and Defense Forces. So if those repatriation or not repatriation, excuse me, if those evacuation trends continue, I would like to say that there is some positivity to be, to be seen. <clears throat> But at the same time, that resumes a lot. For instance, as I mentioned earlier, the, the big challenge with donor funding is that it was not going to be able to be channeled anymore into Afghanistan because of the lack of recognition of the international community of the new government. So a new, a good positive development at the end of last year was the unanimously adopted resolution 2615 of the UN Security Council that allowed for certain removals of the sanctions on the transferring of funds when it came to supporting basic human needs. And I think that is a really good uh, approach forward that should allow for Afghanistan to receive some of the funding that it needs and deserves. Additionally, the council decided that processing of payments of funds and other financial assets and provision of goods and services would be permitted. So those entities such as private banks and middlemen would not feel the sanctions that they are so fearful of when they want to work with Afghanistan. So that's another positive sign, I think. And last but not least, we have to keep in mind that there is a international effort ongoing that includes the countries of Pakistan, Iran, um, when it comes to the Afghan refugee status, and that is the solution strategy, the SSAR. And there, a lot of effort is being made to digitalize, for example, refugee status in countries like Pakistan, where, for example, if originally getting your ID card for recognition of refugee status so that you can then access things like education or banking was previously a very antiquated document that needed to be renewed every year 
and sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't, whilst in the case of uh, this new solution strategy, new projects are coming up where they're digitalizing all of that. They're making these cards readable. And so therefore, I think it facilitates the status. And as a result of this new database, we see that about 740 Afghans have received new cards, smart IDs, as they call them. So I think that's very, like, all a very good sign, uh, I think, going forward. And it's important to continue those efforts. I just want to add, I think what's important also to have in mind is that um, is that we have three durable solutions for refugees. That's that's um, the, the three main ones that are that are highlighted by UNHCR, which are uh, voluntary repatriation, which in the Afghan situation is is really not not feasible. Um, local integration within the communities uh, or um, where where refugees would be displaced and resettlement. So I think there's a lot of focus and and um, efforts I would say to support the local integration of refugees or to aim at supporting and and there's a lot of work in this area also in ensuring that that kind of um, engagement also. Um, engages the host communities as well to make sure it's inclusive. But I, I would also emphasize the role of the international community in, in that third prong of resettlement. So we did see um, the, the, the evacuations uh, in the summer um, and the early fall, and those are really important also as a, a form of solidarity. But um, when, when also we hear about these numbers that Nauzad has, has hi highlighted, those would be impossible numbers. Those are impossible numbers for for any for any country, and and comparatively, also looking at proportions of the population, it's 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 not really comparable to any example in in the EU. So if we're looking also at, specifically at Europe, so I think it's important to also emphasize that third prong as a really important area where the international community can can place more emphasis, and that would be I think also a, a, a good signal of solidarity to the countries of origin or the host um, the transit countries or host countries within the region to also show show the the efforts from from that side as well so not just that being donor of certain activities but also putting words into action and and, and kind of aiming it at making efforts in that way as well I should have also highlighted that some of the work that's being done by Iran and Pakistan is really inspiring when it comes to Afghan refugees. For example, in Iran, you have 520,000 students that are continuously educated through the educational system, in spite of the fact that the economy of Iran is at itself on its knees due to the economic sanctions. Let's not forget that. Then, for instance, many of those who Afghan refugees were included in the COVID vaccine drive, a big plus, in spite of limited supplies of their own, in Pakistan, for example, they've finalized a $63 million professional training package that includes scholarships, free training, stipends for Afghan nationals, and free training of teachers and establishment of an open university. So not only are international donors in the West doing things, but in spite of the neighboring countries being on their last breath when it comes to supporting these uh, inflows, they are still finding the strings, the purse strings to do things for these Afghan refugees that have struggled so much. 
I think these are excellent closing words for our discussion today. There is not that much to add, uh, except for um, many thanks for taking your time to guiding us through this um, specific region that maybe, especially in Europe, we don't have much knowledge about. And um, you have managed to really shed some light and to point out the existing issues, which uh, has really provided us with a very thorough insight. Thank you. Thank you, Nasa. Thank you, Megan. And uh, thank you, Martina, as well, who, um, exactly like last time, has asked all the right questions. And um, with this, I would also like to remind all of our listeners to subscribe to our social media channels, to subscribe to our podcast, to continue to receive updates on ICMPD projects. And I hope you enjoyed uh, this podcast episode and we will be back with the next regional outlook. So stay with us. Many thanks. For more information, please visit icmpd.org and download our ICMPD Migration Outlook 2022.